You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Okay, I got to investigate. How many of you were here last week? I want to see hands. I understand that Matt gave away my secret. Is that true? Did he do that? Did he say I was at the Chiefs game last Thursday night? And he asked me at preaching team, who are they playing? And what did I say? I don't know. I would have care. He gave away my secrets. Gosh. <laughs> it was very fun to hear that. And I did have a great time back there. And, uh, well, there's more to do than just go to football games with my son. I went to another football game with my grandson, Michael. And he plays center on a YMCA five-on-five, 10-year-old, not high-quality football, but a lot of enthusiasm. (laughs) And Michael loves playing center. And when I got done, you know, we're talking about competition and that kind of stuff. And I said, well, Michael, let me show you who I think you are. Who do you think I am, Grandpa? I think, well, you're Michael, my grandson, but there's another idea for you. And you need to know what that is. Oh, yeah, what is that? And, you know, build suspense and all that kind of stuff. And I said, Michael, you're a pirate. Oh, he said. You know, he's seen the pirate movies and all that sort of thing. But I said, no, wait a minute. You're a different kind of pirate. Well, what do you mean, Grandpa? I said, well, what do pirates wear on their eye? Oh, they've got an eye patch. Mm-hmm. What color is it? Oh, it's black. And so what does that mean? I don't know, he said. I said, it means they're mean. And I said, but Michael, you're not a black patch pirate. And I, I have my eyes scanned from time to time, and I had a white eye patch. I put it on him and said, Michael, you're a nice pirate, not a mean pirate. We got to laughing about that. So much fun. That, that kind of love makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And what we're doing here in our Advent conspiracy, and this is the fourth we think about preparing to do Christmas in the way of Christ. Can we get a, like a real thing back there and set that countdown clock? <laughs> that didn't have, there you go. Good. So uh, who did the worship fully? You didn't know you were getting quizzed this morning, did you? <laughs> who did the worship fully? Gabe did. Did a great job. Help us understand what worship is. And you all worship some of the things, the right thing, and we worship Jesus. Who did spend less? Sean did a great job. Just personal, talked about Jesus and what he gives and how we need to do that same kind of thing. We need to invest wisely. And who was up last week? Yeah, right. Betraying my secrets. Yeah. But that's the idea, is give more, but give it in focus. And today's thing is love all. The four ideas of, of Advent conspiracy. Because what you and we're trying to take back Christmas and make it Advent, the coming Messiah that brings his presence and God's reality into the world. Because the consumer side has taken over Christmas. I was in Taiwan here a number of years ago with our friends Peter and Debbie Dodd, and Elizabeth was a brand new baby at that point, and they were doing language school. So we took Elizabeth and went across the street to a a store, and we went into the store, 
And in central Taiwan, basically nobody speaks English. So it's all Chinese around us, and we're there three Anglos, and just having fun looking around and connecting with people as best we could. And I listen to what's going on in the loudspeakers. And this is uh, just before Christmas, and what's going on on loudspeakers are Christmas songs in English. And they're singing about Jesus. And I thought, you know, this is kind of an absolute blasphemy because this does not mean Jesus has come. It means buy more product. And see, that's what we're standing against. There's a place to buy stuff, but the point is to give relationally, which we've helped see. So today we want to think what it means to love all. So I'm going to look at Romans chapter 12. Jay picked this passage. It's an amazing passage. Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Then he changes tone. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not become conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. But be careful to do what is right in the, light of, in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to look through this. We're, it's too much to do in a sermon, so fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Love is one of those things where we have basically one word in English, and we need more than that. C.S. Lewis wrote this great book called The Four Loves. He takes four of the Greek words for love. There are several words for love there. The first one is storge. And storge is the love of affection. It's the love of just the normal. I love my slippers. That's storge. They're comfortable. As soon as I get home, I take off my shoes, I put on my slippers. Storge. I love, well, there's all kinds of things. It's just the normal things. I love family. And I don't really choose family. It, they're just there. And this is the love of the ordinary relationship, and it's comfortable love, and it's a rich love. You may say, I love pizza. That's storge. A second love which you probably know, Philea. What's the city? Philadelphia, love of the brother. That's the friendship love. And for the ancients, this is the richest love. It's not for us. But friendships are the heart of everything. Beyond family, this is the people that you collect together with a common interest or common mission. And that friendship love is a deep and passionate love. And this is one of the things lost in our society is we just don't do friends. Most men have zero friends. They have some buddies, but they don't have friends. I define a real friend as somebody I can talk to without editing. 
That's what love is, a friendship love, philea. Somebody I can talk to without editing because our connection is deep enough that we can do that. Friendships can be uh, same gender, cross gender. They can be different ages, but it's that deep friendship and connection. It's a beautiful love. Another love is this one we know well. This is a central love. When we say love, this is what we mean is eros, and that's the romantic love. The love is together because of the connection that comes. Its culmination is husband and wife, uh, and that's a rich love too. And these three are the training ground for the fourth love that C.S. Lewis talks about, agape, which is what should go in the blank here? What should go in the blank here? God's love. Well, God's love is philea, too, for sure, not eros. Well, he uses eros. Christ in the church is an eros-type love. It, a lot of times this is a sacrificial love. And I, like, when I'm with Don at the football game, that's not self-sacrificial. But it is, there's a self-giving love. It can be richly, richly, richly rewarding. But it's a love that basically gives to another and those are the four loves. And this is the concept I want to unpack a little bit here as we think about the love here in Romans chapter 12. So the first verses are love within the family of God. And that's what we're looking at here. So love must be what? Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by words. If you've been around here, you know that. <laughs> I just found out where this word comes from. Sincere comes from Latin. And if you pay attention to Robert's Rules of Order or something like that, when they adjourn the Congress and they're done, they say adjourn sine day, without a day. Sine means without. Well, I got to look at this thing, and sincere actually means without wax. Did you know that? Where did that come from? Well, if, you're a, if you make pots, and of course in the ancient world that was a basic thing, and you need a crack in a pot, what do you do if you're a man of integrity? You throw the pot away because it's cracked. If you're not a person of integrity, what do you do? Fill up the crack with wax and paint over it. And so the thing is, are your pots without wax? And that's, the, that's where this word comes from. And that's where we're talking about love must be without hypocrisy. It must be sincere. It must be integrity. And we all know people are pretend to be loving, but they're not. He said, no, it must be sincere. And all of 1 Corinthians 13 is built on this whole thing. Sincere. It's a good word. And see, one of the lack of sincerity is not to do this next thing. See, if I don't hate evil, my love is not real. Because that's the other side of it. Because I love the good, I hate the evil. So love hates evil. Now this isn't evil. Evil is a bigger word. It's really talking about hating sin. This is in the context of the relationship. I hate evil bigger than that. But we're talking here about hating sin. But see, the, this is part of it. Is It's not just hating sin. It's also cling to the good. Now Gene Peterson did a... I don't, what do you call the message? It's not a translation. Well, I th I, it's a hippie reflection. You know. 
Eugene Peterson's writing like a hippie, and it's, I love some of the stuff he did in there, but don't call it a translation. It's, yeah, it's not even a paraphrase. It's just a hippie looking at this kind of stuff. It's pretty dated in a lot of ways, but I like what he does. Run for dear life from evil, hold on for dear life to good. And he's playing with words there. He's a, just a master wordsmither. And I like the way he puts it in the message. Run for dear life. Because, see, life is the good. Run from evil, but run for dear life to the good. It's just a good way to put that. So hate what is evil must be connected with, cling to what is good. They go together. So we hate sin, but see, you hear all the time, love the sinner, hate the sin. The problem is, is the sinner who's sinning. And, oh, he's a good person. No, he's not. He's a sinner. He may be an evildoer. What this does is look at the sinner, no matter how bad they are, and sees there's image of God stuff there, along with the evildoer stuff. And what love means is I look at somebody who's a sinner, somebody who's a jerk. Some, do you have any jerks in mind beside me? Yeah. <laughs> it can look at this person, even an evildoer, and see that image of God peace that's there and go for that. That's what this is talking about. I hate the sin. I hate the evil. But I can see the good because I have this love that's a divine kind of love. Be devoted to one another in love. Now, again, playing with words here a bit because Paul plays with words too. It's a double word. What's phile? Philea? Which love was that? That's the brother love, the affectionate love. But it's storge. He puts those two words together and makes a word out of it. So be devoted, the way NIV translates it, is both the brother love and the familiar love. And he puts them together. That's what it says. Be devoted to one another. And what I think about is Acts chapter 2, where it's talking about the church. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what he's talking about. Be devoted to one another. And that's what we try to do here with our grace groups, our communities of grace, and other teams that work together is have that kind of devotion in a smaller group as well as our large group gatherings. Be devoted to one another in love. It's a call to do that. So, and I think about this, we're building relationships here. That's what he's talking about. It's intentional building of relationships at different levels. And because it's for one another, it's, it's not selective. So when I joined Grace Community Church, I grew a very diverse group of people. And by joining this church, I am saying I'm entering a relationship and I'm not being selective among that. I'm trying to relate to a lot of different kinds of people. I'm trying to look at, they're not private because the devotion's a public thing. I've got private relationships, yes, but this is a public relationship, not a private relationship, and they're not safe relationships. Because if I do this as a community of Jesus Christ, it means I'm going to connect to some people that may insult me, they may slander me, they may tell the truth about me, like Matt last week. <laughs> but see, safety is one of those things that's such a high value in our society today. But it's misleading. Because the community of Jesus Christ, we are not making safety 
in relationship, number one. Now, we are absolutely committed to things like being a safe place for our children upstairs. Try to go up there and go into a bathroom and see how it goes. Because there are rules about how we treat our children. We want to make sure it's safe for our children. But in our adult relationships, we're not saying safe is the beginning spot because I may go into somebody who's got real, real problems and I'm going into it because that's what love does. Honor one another above yourselves. Uh, Dane Ortland has written a couple of books, Low and Gentle and Lowly and Deeper, and he was talking about this, and he noted that in the ESV, this is the one place Christians are called to compete with each other. Did you know you're called in the Bible to compete with other Christians on this one thing? Compete to be the best at honoring somebody else. I'm a better honorer than you are. No, you're not. I'm better than you are. That's kind of what it's saying there. Or the Christian standard version is take the lead in honoring one another. And that giving honor, showing respect, saying good things about is what we're talking about here. So we're to compete at being the best at honoring others. And what that means is speaking well of another person. Now, do guys ever honor other guys? Nope. I give you a friendly insult, you know I'm honoring you. I such a jerk, you know. And everybody knows if I, like Matt and I, love to kid each other. And, you know, we were playing back in the tech circle this morning, playing off each other because we really enjoy each other. Uh, but neither one of us really said, Matt, you're a great guy. Now, it's true, and I can say it in front of you, but I won't say it to him because he's not here because I don't want him to hear that, right? He really is a great guy, but I'll never say it to him because I'm a guy. No, do best at speaking truth for each other. That's what this is talking about. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Work to serve the Lord enthusiastically, despite the setbacks. There are things where you're trying to do stuff, and it just doesn't work. And the temptation is, oh, forget it. No, like Jesus, Luke 9.51, it says, He set his face like flint, headed toward Jerusalem, knowing what was going to happen. That's the pattern that we're following here. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. He's putting three powerful things together here. I think we rejoice in hope by being patient and prayerful. I think hope is the key word there. And that's what the hardest thing to do in this sin-messed-up world is to be hopeful. And hopeful and optimistic are very different things. Hopeful is the confident, active expectation of good because we know the God of all grace. We know that he's at work even in horrible situations. But I'm not optimistic things are going to work out. Oh, it'll work out. No, it may not. You may end up dead. But God is at work even in the hardest things. Now, my cancer has gone really well. I'm probably going to end immunotherapy next month. And it'll be nice not to have to mess with cancer anymore. Bonnie Knopf is a different position. Carol Cook's in a very different position. Ev Walden's in a different position. See, it's not going to work out well all the time. But the hope is we active, confident expectation of good because God is at work here. So we're patient, even in hard times, and we commit to being prayerful because that's what loving one another looks like. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. We respond concretely and helpfully to people in need. 
And so that doesn't necessarily mean we give money to somebody. In fact, that may be the worst thing to do. It's the easy thing to do, but giving help, help somebody get job skills or get off drugs or something like that may be a better thing than giving them money. So it's concretely, it's not, hey, I'll pray for you. It's actually praying for them in the moment. But helpfully, it helps them move toward the image of God and community of grace. Practice hospitality. Practice there, it's to be inventive. Like, figure out ways to do hospitality. And again, look at the words. Philea is what? What kind of love is that? That's the friendship love. And there's the word there is xenia. Do you know what xenophobia means? Xenophobia? That's afraid of somebody comes from a different ethnicity or background. You're afraid of the stranger. What this is saying is love the stranger. Again, we don't limit our relationships to what's safe. We practice hospitality. And practice understates this. The word is actually a stronger word than that. It's a pursues hospitality. Be inventive. Make it happen. So it's not just practice. It's, it's figure out a way to do it better. Then the tone changes. The tone changes from inside the community to outside the community. What do you do when we get outside of the community of Jesus Christ. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. Seriously, you're kidding me, right? Bless those who persecute you? Who does that? Who does that? No, there's one guy in particular. What's the Sunday school answer? Jesus! <laughs> And what he says is, deny yourself, because in my own thing, I'm going to, you give it to me, I'm going to do it to you before you do it to me, kind of stuff. This is so contrary to our world's agenda. So contrary. Bless those who persecute you. Speak well of my persecutors. You want to be countercultural? This is totally countercultural. Now, this is a personal ethic. this is really challenging. When we say love all, this is a key thing that we're doing. Rejoice those rejoice, mourn those who mourn, live in harmony with another. The way I summarize this is, is just connect with the emotions of other people, no matter what they're doing. I was in Tulsa yesterday meeting with a one of my students who's struggling with some hard stuff, and as we were sitting there having breakfast in mom's family diner, she was talking about what was happening in her life. And she's got some hard stuff going on, and what she was saying is, you know, people don't want to be with me because I'm not on happy mood. Life is really hard for me. And people don't like that. I said, yeah, it's like that old song, you know, don't worry, be happy, don't bring everybody down. First time I heard that song, I'd just been with somebody who was suicidal, and I came out of that meeting just heavy. They were literally trying to save this guy's life. And I got in their car back in those days, you know, and turned on the radio. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't bring everybody down. I just about tore the radio out of the dash of the car. See, this whole thing. Yeah, rejoice with those who rejoice. Yes, but mourn with those who mourn. That's what love means. It's not safe, but it's like Jesus. 
Don't be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. I like the message again. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. He likes to play with words, but they're hippie words, yeah. So that's the thing. We, my phrase is, we relate to worthless to me people. Now, my grandson Michael, the nice pirate with a white eye patch, is he a worthless to me person? No, no, very worthwhile to me. I love being with that little guy. Well, he's not a little guy anymore. He's almost as tall as I am at 10 years old. But see what it is. If you're a Christian, if you're following the way of Jesus, you're relating to worthless to me persons. Because if I help a worthless to me person, there's no benefit to me at all. That's the agape, the self-giving love. Philea, eros, I'm seeing something in that person that I like and it's a value to me. This is talking about the love of, that, of the worthless to me person. In fact, it may be a costly love. Again, we're being like Jesus. We adopted Cindy. She's our daughter adopted daughter Cindy. If you go to Cannon Beach Christian Conference Center, you may well see her down there. When we brought her into our home 33 years ago, she was definitely not an asset on her ledger sheet. She was very much a worthless to us person. Why did we invite her to join our household and later on adopted her? Why did we do that? because he saw the good in the midst of the other stuff, and we reached for that good. Now, she's very worthwhile to us now. But the first 25 years of her life, she spent in hell. And she was still living that kind of a life when he brought her into her house. She was a worthless to us person. I was just with Christopher, my sort of son, back in Tulsa. He and Johnette live back there now. He was a throwaway kid. When his mom brought a boyfriend home, she just threw him out. David, my son, found out about it and said, Dad, can I bring him home? And I said, of course. I said, Christopher, anytime you need a place to stay, you can come here. You know, moving with him with us, now he's a sort of son. Now, he wasn't a worthless to me person, but fairly close. But see, that's what this is talking about. We're doing relationships that are of no benefit to me. There's a real place for storge. There's a real place for philea. But there's also a place for agape with the worthless to me person. And that's actually the test of your Christianity in Matthew 25. The sheep and the goats. Sheep invest in worthless to me persons. Goats are self-centered and don't. And that's the challenge, and it's a big challenge. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Yeah, right. Bless those who persecute you, it said. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Paul, you're not being serious. Who's he thinking about here? Who's he thinking about here? That's Jesus <laughs> from the chosen. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecuted you, maybe children of your Father in heaven. Watch this video.
a series of one-minute videos. That one's so powerful. It's not a new one. But boy, do we need that in our world today. Boy, do we need that in our world today. Bless those who are persecuted. Do not play evil for evil. Bless and do not curse. The way I was saying this again, the message, not, don't do it on your breath. Because I pretend to be nice to you, but I'm cursing under my breath. No, let it be sincere. Do not do mean things to people, is what he's saying, to put it in contemporary language. There's lots of ways to do mean things to people. Jesus said, no, no, bless them. And he didn't stop there. And as far as possible, it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. I tell you why I have trouble getting along with people, because they're jerks. And what does Paul say? Bless the jerk and realize they're jerky in me, too, that I need to deal with. Be a better friend with somebody. Seek to live at peace with everyone is the message of Jesus. Do not take revenge, verse 19. Leave room for God's wrath. See, and part of the reason we can do this is because everybody will face Jesus at some point. Cindy's dad. I want him to meet Jesus as the lamb but if he refuses that for all the evil that he did he'll face Jesus as the lion his choice and since we're talking about here trust that God will revenge in his own way and time and when evil is being done against you that's hard to do now to be fair if you're a woman being abused in a home you need to come talk to the church because this may well be God's way of doing that vengeance. This doesn't say take it necessarily. What it's saying is a personal ethic of non-retaliation. I do not personally take vengeance on somebody. But it may mean that I need to call the police. It may mean I come to the elders of the church. It may mean that I come to a, a father or something like that because God uses agents to do his work. And sometimes we're called to do that. We've got this whole thing going on in the Middle East right now. See, and that's a government level, the war between Hamas and Israel. That's chapter 13, where the government is the one who is to correct things. It's a complicated thing. We're talking about individuals here. When somebody's mean to me, my goal is to bless them. But that may well also mean that I need to go to the appropriate authorities to stop the evil. So it's not a simple thing. It's a godly, spirit-based thing. I'm not sure what to do. Then come talk to one of us one of these things on, and we'll help you work things through. That's what church is about, is stopping 
the evil that's happening. But in the personal vengeance, he's saying, don't do it. And that's why I'm a pacifist. I'm nonviolent. I'm not non-force, because those are different. Violence is when I'm going to hurt you because you hurt me. Force is when I'm going to stop you from hurting somebody else. Those are complicated kinds of things, so he's not being simplistic here. But this is the final passage, and this is one of my life verses. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, that's a goal. That's a goal. We're trying to change the world. The best way to deal with an enemy is to make him your friend. And that's a good thing to do. This is what we do. If your enemy's hungry, bless him, feed him, giving something to drink. Appeal to the good that's in him or her. Does that make any sense? The answer is not really. Unless you bind in the mindset of Jesus. Sarah, are you around here somewhere? Gabe suggested our preaching team on Tuesday morning. He said, Gary, you should sing the old song. This is out of the Jesus Revolution. Back when I was in high school, we, sat, we couldn't sing this inside because we couldn't have guitars inside the church. So we went on the back yard behind the church and sang this song. And I, I love this song. I love it. So we're going to do it together. Y'all sing, okay? I love the simplicity of that song. But it's a profound message. That's what we want, is a true, sincere unity. We're doing Advent Conspiracy here. We're doing it as a church. We will have our big party here early December. Still need volunteers for that. And we have, what did we have last year? 1,200 people show up in this room? Something like that is a crazy number of people. We go away Christmas trees and clothes and take care of kids. I mean, it's just, it's a blast be here. We also take up an offering that we'll do on the first two Sundays of December, and that offering will go to two things. It'll go to uh, living water that builds wells in remote areas so they have water to drink, and we'll immigrant connection that's helping people who need help getting papers to be legal. They have full right to be it, but getting it can be difficult. So our offering go to those two organizations. And then I encourage you as a part of your own Advent conspiracy to find something outside of this fellowship we do here and invest time or money to build love for each other. I'd like us to stand up. There's a prayer here for Advent conspiracy. It's called a prayer... to love all. And I'd just like us to read this prayer together as we finish up. Oh, Father, you are love itself, and you've loved me with an everlasting love. There is nothing that can separate me from your love when I am in Christ. You have called me your beloved child, and you've given me an example to follow as I walk in the way of your love. Show me that way, Father. Teach me, Jesus, to walk in love, to be patient and kind. Keep me from envy, boasting, pride, and selfishness. Make me slow to anger and quick to forgive. Remind me to protect, to trust, 
to hope and to persevere. Forgive me when I fail at this, Lord, as I'm an insufficient vessel on my own. Remind me often that the power to love like you comes only from your Holy Spirit in me. I need you, Holy Spirit, to inspire, encourage, and enable me to love in this counterintuitive, refreshing, sacrificial way. Bring glory to your name by helping me to love all without hesitation, without qualifiers or requirements. Let me love the weak and the strong, the rich and the poor, my friends, my enemies, and those who are far from you. Make me merciful and kind, compassionate and attentive. Help me to be less consumed with my own agenda and more open to interruption so that I may love with presence as you did for all of humanity and still do for me each day. One of my heroes is Kaylee Hagenthal. If you remember when Olive died, her little girl, sudden infant death syndrome, and they pled for God to bring her back to a life and didn't. She's a worshiper. She's writing songs again. She's writing brilliant worship songs. And she's been doing it for a good while now. And they've got a new baby, but they'll never tire of missing Olive. And they know they'll meet her one day. And she writes from that kind of a context of loving all to embrace things like dead babies and families who are mourning dead babies. And this particular song, Sarah picked it, and man, what a great song. Thank you for picking good songs ever be. Let's sing it. Don't you love coming to church and find out how hard it is to live as a Christian? Yeah, gosh. Bless those that persecute you. Like, get along with everybody. But don't just put wax over it and make it seem like it's okay. Like, really get down to the place that you annoy me. Let's talk about it. Let me give you a better suggestion. Do something a friend helped me do. Go to the person who annoys you and say, I'm sure I annoy you. Remember, I'm talking to somebody who annoys me. And I go to him and I say, I'm sure I annoy you. Can you help me see how I could change one thing over the next few days that would help me be less annoying to you? Seriously. That's what he's talking. As far as it's possible, for me, live at peace with everybody. Don't cover with wax. Like, deal with real things. Husband, wives. I mean, this is a question I ask Sherry from time to time. Not too often, because she's got some ideas. <laughs> but see, the thing that is, love all starts with me. But it follows the example of Jesus. And that's what we're talking about. And when we think of Advent conspiracy, what I'd like to do is be an Advent conspiracy that talks about really loving all with genuine, sincere love, not just, hey, love ya, kind of stuff, but really does in reality. There are prayer teams off on the sides. They're here to pray. All of us, one of these, it's a little to talk to you or pray with you. Or just talk to the person next to you and say, hey, I need, I need, I need to talk. That's what we're here for. Are we doing the greet, meet and greet thing over here? Connect. Connect. Next door in the cafe, is that right? Right out there in the hallway, and then they take them to the cafe if they would like. Okay. 
the cafe, if you're new here, uh, go get some free coffee. Get a good one while you're at it. Yeah, I mean, we'll love you like that. Love all, following the pattern of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we read a prayer a bit ago, but we pray it again. Show us what Father love looks like. Lord Jesus, you showed us what love looks like to leave all the glories of heaven to come to this earth and take its worst to bring hope and love and life in your resurrection to defeat death and demons in your exaltation. Holy Spirit, you've been poured out to show us those places where we're jerks and to give us the courage to go into that jerky person and bring hope and love and restoration and reconciliation. Grant us the courage to ask you what we should do as well as our friends around us. We want to be a community that's known for love. We want to be a community that really is Grace Community Church. As we think about Advent Conspiracy and the big party that's going to happen here and Foster Parents Night Out and Our Father's House and, gosh, so many different places that we extend that love beyond our place here. We want your glory to be front and center because you're the God worthy of all praise. And we praise you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.